0: But it's also about educating a little bit the consumers, right? Because the consumer, if you look petrol prices, we are used to see that the prices change day over day, right? We accept that fact, but we're not used to ch- see our uh, products within a retail store change you know, week over week. Uh, that's something we're just simply not used to. So it also takes a little bit of uh, flexibility from the end consumer to get used to the new situation.
1: You're listening to Transform Talks, the podcast about global supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, co-founder and CEO of the Future Insights Network, a fast-growing network of over 130,000 supply chain and manufacturing executives worldwide. Now on this show, I'm going to be interviewing and having conversations with some of the biggest names in supply chain and business, where we're going to be discussing topics around digitization, transformation, leadership, technology business models, diversity, sustainability, and much, much more. Welcome back to Transform Talks. This week, I'm joined by Max Fliegenthart and Danielle van der Ende from Visual Fabric, the world's front runner in AI enhanced revenue growth management. Founded in 2013, Visual Fabric is looking to solve the key pain points in an industry that's dominated by legacy systems. Their SaaS platform features a mixture of integrated data, artificial intelligence, and workflows to greatly empower CPG employees so that they can in turn generate more profit. Both Max and Danielle have played a key role in helping Visual Fabric get to where it is today. And it's for that reason that I was delighted when they agreed to come on the show. Their experience in SNOP, data management, and CPG means that they are perfectly placed to comment on the recent developments we're currently seeing in the industry. During this episode, Max, Danielle, and I discuss the benefits of holistic pricing, how the dynamics between CPG and retailers is shifting and why companies need to start updating their planning cycle. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Danielle and Max, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having us.
0: Absolutely. Pleasure.
1: So I've got two guests on Transform Talks today, which is pretty exciting. And we're going to be talking about a lot of really interesting things, but I want to hit you straight off the bat with the first question uh, about something that no doubt every organization is thinking about. If you think about the fact that there's so much turbulence in the market, it's forcing companies to, you know, ask themselves a number of really key, important questions. So one of them is how do you still remain profitable, right? And of course, there are the usual options that we are seeing, especially from oil and gas companies. Uh, such as increasing prices, reducing spend, or uh, devising creative promotional strategies. Now, you guys have been talking about uh, looking at this because you're proponents of holistic pricing. I want to understand a little bit more um, why you think holistic pricing is going to be the key to changing the dynamic between CPGs and retailers. But I also want to know, what exactly do you mean by holistic pricing?
2: So, well, basically, you were already referring to the key components of holistic pricing. So it's your standard investments, uh, cost increase, it's your promotional investments, as well as just the regular invoice price that you charge retail with as a CPG manufacturer. And what we're saying is that you should be able to see your full gross price to your net profit, basically, and use all those components in a way that you can... Talk to retail and find a win-win situation in terms of how you invest, what promotions you run, and what your pricing level is at. And I'm not saying that's easy. It's not like I turn this button, I do that. But the key is that you need to have a solution that gives you insights in this full gross net and that you learn to understand what are the different levers that I can use to get to this construct of holistic pricing. So to us, holistic pricing is not looking at those different parts of investment as a silo, but really taking into account every little component of that cross to net and using all that in your advantage as a manufacturer, but also in the advantage of a retailer, because eventually, only way to be successful as a CPG manufacturer
1: is if you enable retailers to be successful too. I was going to ask you, Max, what's your thinking on that?
0: Yes, well, inevitably, due to the world situation right now, um, we're going to be facing price increases. Now, what is ultimately important is that you look at the profitability of your organization, but in the past years, we were also constantly looking at volume growth. And that volume growth now comes to kind of a standstill due to, the COX increases that we are seeing in the market. So the question now is to the retailers and to the manufacturers, can you find a win-win situation where you still can grow, where you still can certify the consumer needs, but at a price point that makes sense for everybody, for the consumer, for the retailer, but also for the manufacturer. And this is something that we see companies struggling big time because they were in the past years pretty much um, well treated easily uh, because the market was growing and growing and growing but now we're facing a different time
1: so different times call for different measures don't they and, and, and they're not going to go away are they these these difficult times where you, this complexity is kind of here to stay isn't it um, I, you know you talk about something and I, and I, I can always relate At my local supermarket without naming names my local supermarket uh, at one point in time did not stock specific uh, a particular product, and it was on the news here in the UK, um, a very well-known, established brand. It didn't stock it, and I remember thinking that can't be the case, and I went to my supermarket and they didn't have it, and it's a particular brand that is pretty common household brand that I use all the time. So how does the impact on these kinds of decisions affect uh, organizations from an operational perspective but also from a pr perspective because i i had to go to another supermarket
2: yeah well it, it's a common case we've seen it in the Netherlands too and it's not necessarily new that retailers basically boycott the nailist brand but it has become bigger boycotts they have become uh, more frequent it had it's touching more products in the past it used to be like your number one product And now it can be your entire portfolio. I think this is really also about weighing the consequences of basically your short-term interest versus your long-term interest, especially from everybody's point of view. Because the short-term interest from the retailer to the consumer is not to increase retail pricing. Eventually, you don't want to chase away that consumer from your supermarket. A retailer eventually either loses the shopper by switching or the shopper switches to another brand but it's not solving something because if you look at the bigger picture all your brands all your manufacturers are facing the same price increases for their cost of goods for their labor for their transport so eventually every manufacturer will at some point sort of increase prices which means that the retailer will have to increase prices so on the short term these kind of boycotts or, or stocking uh, boycotts, yeah, they can put pressure on the negotiation and they can help the retailer to have a bit of power in the negotiation. In the long run, nobody will win from it. And it's just delaying the inevitable. Everybody will have to increase prices. It's more about, are you able to communicate it well? I mean, consumers see, this, see the news, they not only I mean, they see their own raw materials increase in price when you look at it from a perspective of petrol or gas to heat their houses. So they know things are becoming more expensive. It's all about um, how you take them along on that journey. Are you able to tell the story? And I think in the short term, these kind of news messages of stocking boycott make sense in the long run, it can actually hurt you because you are sort of promising the consumer that you're not going to increase this price. But you'll have to at some point. If you do it well, you could, as a, from a retail perspective, you could also still use it and say, but at least I tried to keep it as low as possible. But It's a dangerous game to play, and it's only a short-term game because in the long-term, it's inevitable.
0: Yeah, and... and- like nobody wants to give up their margins, but it's also due to the fact that we've been spoiled a little bit in the past years. So if you look at it, um, normally price negotiations from a manufacturer to a retailer happen once a year. So the label prices in on the retail shelves only changed once a year. Now we see it actually goes to a multifold of that, Four to six times a year, we're gonna have price negotiations. Now this puts pressure on the retailer, puts pressure on the manufacturer. And then ultimately, this leads sometimes to, um, you know, boycotting or uh, delisting a certain item from the shelves. But in the end, the consumer is not helped with that because you are now forced to go to a different store, and yeah, probably the retailer is also not happy because they see their customers as well going to other stores, right? And customer loyalty is uh, of essential importance during this 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 crisis. So this is this is the the trade-off, and that's why you need to look just beyond the retailer but you need to look at the consumer at the retailer and at the manufacturer's perspective
2: because as max is also saying nobody wants to um, give up their margins but this is not just about margins it's also about the ability to invest in brands but not only in brands in uh, sustainability in good sourcing yeah you can try to buy your raw materials cheaper but you might not be able to have full transparency on your supply chain, for example. So you might actually risk a bigger PR uh, issue if you source from the wrong company. You, you need to be able to also, I think consumers are expecting more from a brands, and they should be when it comes to sustainability, when it comes to reducing uh, carbon dioxide emissions, all these kind of things and Just by cost cutting and and reducing your margins, you are basically, for the longer term, making it way harder for yourself to to invest in those things or prioritize these kind of uh, initiatives.
0: But it's also about educating a little bit the consumers, right? Because the consumer, if you look petrol prices, we are used to see that the prices change day over day, right? We accept that fact. But we're not used to ch- see our uh, products within a retail store change, you know, week over week. Uh, that's something we're just simply not used to. So it also takes a little bit of uh, flexibility from the end consumer to get used to the new situation.
1: You know, I, I from what you've been saying, I was just thinking about the... I, I, there's a lot that you've just said, and I want to unpack it a little bit for, for our audience. So what I took away from this is something, Daniela, you said which I liked, which is the short-term gains for long-term uh, impact. And I think that that's, that's, that's a very valuable point here because like, like Max, you were saying, we've been in this crisis mode for so long that it, it's, it appears as though, okay, fine, we were all in this urgent crisis situation, so we had to be agile, adaptable, quick, all of the above and therefore increase prices and blah, 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 blah. So having a more long-term vision um, which then leads me to my second point, which is this crisis mentality. Max, you were just talking about this as well. Well, I'm kind of sick of us talking about crisis. We've been in a crisis. This is three years now and it doesn't seem like it's going away. So which leads me to my to my third point that I was thinking that I got from you, which is unlearning. It's almost relearning methodologies that you know, and, and pricing pricing methodologies and strategies behaviors within organizations like going after the cheapest thing because we've been in crisis. Well you need to realize that crisis is here to stay this is our uh, this is the normal that we are operating in now and so as a result of that you need to unlearn and you need to think about the long term and then lastly the point that I got here as well was the consumer the consumer needs to be educated to the consumer needs to be brought with you in terms of storytelling We get it. We're adults, most of us, you know, that are buying goods. If we're, ex- if things are explained to us, we'll get it. But without those four things, I think this whole holistic pricing is 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 something that perhaps bec- is a concept that most people might not see as realistic. So, okay, let's talk about practicalities. Can you tell us a little bit how it would work? How does it how does it work in an organization if you were to implement something like this? And and who are your greatest beneficiaries? Is it the consumer, the retailer, is it the organization, or is it all of them? Well, If you implement
2: um, holistic pricing, there's basically two to three things that you need. One is to have the right tool. Two is that you need to have the right processes internally. Um, and three is data. Um, those are basically the, key, the core things, and of course, there's people in the sense that People need to adapt, they need to accept, they need to learn how to work with this, and they need to be, want to cooperate within an organization and externally with retailers, et cetera. Now, when it comes to tools, you need to have a tool that, I mean, everybody in CPG is talking about big data, about data lakes, all these kind of things. But eventually what it comes down to is to be able to integrate all those data into actual usable insights. That's not a simple thing because it means handling like millions of records and all these kind of things and translating that to something that everybody can use in your organization. So not just the RGM lead um, who will then send a report to everybody that they'll read one time and continue doing what they do. It needs to be available and understandable on a daily basis to everybody in a commercial financial organization who's making decisions. And that's not just management. That's the sales assistant who has to prepare a promotional proposal. That is the account manager who is preparing their negotiation. So that's basically the kind of tool you need. It it, it should be a one platform thing, fully integrated, and and up to date at all times. Then from a process point of view, um, you have to start working also holistically in your organization. Very often, marketing has their silos, sales has a silo, finance has a silo. Yeah, there is communication between them, but there's no cooperation. And what you have to start doing is really make your plans together. Look at your challenges together. And not for tomorrow, um, maybe challenges from yesterday even, but more importantly also on the longer term, you have to start thinking ahead in scenarios. It's not next year, this is the plan. It is, if this happens, this is what we do. If that happens, that will be your answer. And in worst case scenario, we have a fallback plan. And the last thing is data. I was already talking about this big amount of data. Now, I mean, I work in CPG. I talk to all our customers. I know what data is in organizations. And usually, with all the best intentions, there's a bit of a mess in there. Because if you ask
1: people to fill... Danielle, Danielle, you can call it what it is. It's a huge mess. It's not a big... It's, it, data is one of the biggest issues. Uh, absolutely. So th- don't be nice. It's, it's bad. And so I know
2: you can do two things. You can start manually cleansing, which is going to take somebody in your organization basically their entire year. And by the time they're done, there's another year of mistakes in there. Let's put it that way. Or you you make sure that that tool that I was referring to is able to do the cleansing for you. And if you have these three things in place and your people are willing to learn and to adapt an agile mindset, you get to a point where people can start to think ahead and can start to think in those scenarios. Because in all fairness, in most CPGs, people are doing the work that computers and software can do really well. Administration, repetitive tasks, typing, basically. Whilst they're incredibly smart and they should be innovating and having conversations and build relationships, but they just don't have the time. And and for me, those are the key things uh, for success.
0: Well, what I find very interesting, Maria, is that you said crisis after crisis, right? So we had a COVID crisis. Now we have an inflation crisis. There is a crisis in Ukraine. Uh, The next up is our environmental crisis, and the, the adaptability of human mankind is pretty interesting. If you look at it from a COVID perspective, right, we were able to adapt very rapidly to the new norms of keeping distance and not. But this crisis that we're facing right now with the increased cost across the globe um, and scarce resources, you see that our adaptability decreases significantly, that we, we tend to go back very rapidly into our old habits. And I think that is as well preventing us from rapidly adopting new methodologies, but also accepting the new normal. Because if there's not a very mortal threat, we just take it light or more lightly as a as a as a society. And I think that is a very interesting fact to look at. You know, why are companies not making that, that rapid transition? Why are they not able to to change uh, to the current crisis?
1: But I'll I'll tell you what's going to happen. It's going to be thrust upon them. What I mean by that is that someone is going to innovate and someone is going to implement new processes and methodologies and then people will be left behind. And so it's natural point of, well, natural selection essentially in the economic and business world. And so I think if you look at the innovators, the companies perhaps that you're speaking with, the companies that that you're seeing, and, and I do like to speak with companies that offer solutions and services because you get to see such a wide breadth of of companies that are implementing what you do, and they're probably in different stages of maturity within their processes. So, you know, you get this yourself kind of holistic or helicopter view as well of companies and what succeeds and doesn't. So I I wanna take you now to the sort of like the future. What innovations, you know, are we going to be seeing in the next couple of years, 12 to 18 months that you think will A, make things easier, and B, be exciting?
0: Yeah, so I think, there is a couple of trends that we see across the organizations. Yet we can talk about the cool and fancy stuff like artificial intelligence and machine learning, uh, and I think those buzzwords have been flowing floating around. But if we face the, re- the realistic situation is that majority of companies still don't have their data uh, sorted and structured. They are still manually or manually processing a lot of in Excel. But what we see happening right now is that companies need to get into a more agile method. And what we see is that RGM programs are heavily being pushed into organizations, of which holistic pricing is uh, a part of it. So the exciting things, I would say, are um, getting data structured and being able to gain more insights uh, insights out of the data. Two is adapting SaaS technology. We still see a lot of technology or legacy technology on-premise. And that is going to be replaced very rapidly. If I just look to the beginning of the year right now, there's many organizations have approached us and said, hey okay we have actually freed our budget because what we're doing today cannot be done tomorrow and we need to get more agile. So we see that CIOs are now really pushing on utilizing the cleanse data that they're generating so that they can get to the insights but also automating more heavily. So I think in the next 12 to 18 months, um, we see that digitalization will take a next step. Uh, We see that organizations will really actively invest in automating processes and being less uh, reliant on uh, human intervention and human processing.
1: Um, Okay, unfortunately, that is pretty much all the time that we've got, uh, which I'm sure we could probably talk twice as much because uh, it's an interesting topic and I and I really like the idea that it's we've got to adjust to different methodologies or we're going to see a very big shift or a paradigm shift really in the whole retail CPG industry. But before I let you guys go, I am going to ask you a question that I ask everyone uh, all, every one of my guests now. It's a new thing for me for 2023 and and that is to tell me a book tell me about a book or books that whether they're professional, whether they're personal, fictional, whatever it is that has influenced you and why. Who wants to go first? Daniela, you want to go first?
2: Oh, yes, of course. Um, For me, I have a background in industrial design engineering. And for me, it was the book uh, about Raymond Louis, Never Leave Well Enough Alone. He was a very famous designer. And this mindset of challenging the status quo Um, but also of adopting criticism really helped me to progress, basically to go to an innovative company as where we work today.
1: Brilliant. What about you, Max?
0: Yeah, so it's actually a Dutch professor from the University uh, of Rotterdam, and it's called Embrace Chaos. Um, I don't know if it's actually published in English, but it's a very interesting book where he looks into the trends of this world and describes how we're going to make the transition into the new reality. Because he also says, you know, we've been going through crisis after crisis. Um, we can keep it, we can keep calling it crises, but maybe we should call start calling it chaos and embracing that chaos uh, and really make something out of it. So it's a very interesting book that I've read.
1: Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, you should read my newsletter. I published a newsletter about the cocktail of crisis, I called it. Uh, because I feel like we're getting so much crisis so you might as well drink to it, I guess. Um, it's, it's been a pleasure chatting with both of you. It's been a pleasure having you here on transform talks and no doubt, I'm sure we'll see you again. And if anybody wants to get in touch with you, you're, uh, you know, we can contact you on LinkedIn, uh, reach out to you to find out more about visual fabric or talk to you all about holistic pricing. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Maria. Thanks for having us. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. I do hope you gained some valuable insight from this week's episode. To stay up to date with the latest developments, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn at Transform Talks. Also, if you don't already follow me on LinkedIn, please do so now. I'm always keen to connect with supply chain and business leaders from around the world. You can find me by searching for Maria P. Villablanca. And if you're lucky, I may let you know what the P in my name stands for. In the meantime, wishing you a great week ahead. And as always, for those of you listening, I'll catch you at the next one.